Well, here we are on September 8th, and for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of students, teachers, and parents, the official new year is underway. School is back in session. The arrival of the first day of school brings, for many of us, I'm sure, all too many memories of our own annual first days of school. Memories of meeting new friends, being anxious about your new teacher, that feeling of being at a new school sometimes as you move through the various grades or sometimes as we moved in our own lives. But more than those emotional memories, sometimes it's those sensory memories that linger the longest. The sound of school bells ringing, that gleaming bright glow of the floor that was waxed over the summer. The sometimes an uninspiring taste of your brown bag lunch each day. And that touch and sight and smell of brand new books, library books and textbooks and workbooks, just waiting to have their spine cracked for the beginning of the year. It's the memory of every September. The memory of those school-age books is where my mind turned as I was reflecting on the readings that we just heard this past week. And one series of books in particular that was very popular when I was in elementary school. It was a series of books written mostly in the 70s and 80s, I think, called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. And if you're not familiar with them, they were the neatest kind of book because instead of just reading it from start to finish, page one through to the end, rather at the bottom of each page as you read the book, based on what you had just read, you were given a choice. If you do such and such a thing, turn to this page. If you want to do this, turn to this page. Like this one from one of the early Choose Your Own Adventure books called The Haunted House. You climb the main staircase. After exploring the hallways, you find some spiral stairs leading up to the tower. You run up and find a small square room with large windows on every side. You have a fine view of the countryside, the grounds, and the road. If you decide to go back down the stairs, turn to page 106. If you decide to climb out the window, jump to the roof, and then find your way down from there, turn to page 108. May I suggest page 106? This morning, we heard three excellent readings of scripture, all illustrating that important role of choice in our lives of faith. That in, snow, that in no small way, because things have not been entirely preordained for all of us, we really do get to choose our own adventure in our life of faith. That the life of faith invites us and encourage, encourages us and equips us to make these choices that go into accordance with our baptized life. Now, most of these times, the choices are going to be fairly easy to make. Do I murder or do I not murder? Should I post this gossipy information online, or should I let it go? Should I pass go and collect $200, or should I go directly to jail? These are fairly easy choices. But our readings this morning reflect that sometimes there's more to these choices than meets the eye. And so let's take a wander through these readings that we've heard and see how our faith in Christ not only invites us, but equips us to choose the right adventures. The first reading we heard 
is one of those great passages from the final chapters of Deuteronomy in the farewell speech that Moses offers to the wandering Hebrews as they stand at the plains of Moab on the cusp of entering the promised land. And in the words that he offers them here, he spells out plainly the choice that they are being invited to make in this moment in their lives. He says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, then God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, you shall not live long in the land. Life and prosperity, death and adversity. This is no abstract distinction that Moses is putting before the Israelites. The journey through the wilderness was not without its trial. Several times, we know the stories of the wandering Israelites complaining against Moses, complaining against God for leading them out to the desert to starve and die. We know the story of them building the golden calf while Moses was away, trusting in it, trusting in their own creation more than God. Obedience and trust in God's will and providence has not always been the default position in these stories. But just the same, throughout all those stories, it is God who's providing them with food from heaven and water from a rock to sustain them on the journey. God continued to work to fulfill that promise that had been made to generations long before, generations long forgotten. And the laws of Egypt, which had oppressed them as slaves, were entirely replaced by the law from God, which has liberated, claimed, and redeemed them as God's people. That choice, that choice between life and prosperity, death and adversity, has played itself out time and time again in those 40 years in the wilderness. They had seen it with their own eyes, what it looked like. And so Moses casts all of it in the promise from God. We, too, have desert times in our life when God seems far off. We too can find it easier to place more trust in our own work than the work of the one who redeems and liberates us. We too have to choose between life and death. Not always mortal life and certain death, but we have to choose between the fullness of life in God, the fullness of life with Christ, and the adequacy of life in the present, what we want now. When we're faced with that choice, Moses' words remind us to look to the past, to look to the past where God has been in our life, and to see where God is leading us to the future, too. The second reading we heard was from Paul's letter to Philemon. One of those rare opportunities for us to hear a whole book of Scripture in one sitting in church. And it's a short letter. It's only 21 verses from Dear Philemon to Yours Cordially, Paul. But these are 21 verses that pack a particular punch, especially for Philemon. Because it's Philemon who's being given an extremely difficult choice to make in this letter, one that would require him to swallow his own pride. Most of what we know about this letter is more inferred than actually known. It's a brief personal letter between Paul and Philemon, about a slave named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is probably a slave who ran away from Philemon and later found Paul, who at this time was in prison. 
it's possible, it's sort of inferred from the letter, that Onesimus cost Philemon some money, either maybe not by fulfilling his duties as slave or through maybe some other kind of wrongdoing. But regardless of what that is owed, Paul promises to settle that debt. Onesimus clearly later became a Christian, and Paul now wants to send him back to Philemon so that he can be of service to him again, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Have a good read of this letter, actually, because it's not, it's not without its humor. Really, not without its humor. As Paul vacillates between kindly asking for, yet not quite commanding Philemon to comply with his wishes, even though he could command him to do it, but he won't. For those keeping score, this could be the first scriptural example of voluntelling. But whatever the circumstances of this letter, one thing is clear. Philemon is faced with one of those most difficult choices we have to make as Christians living in community with other Christians. And that's the choice to forgive when we're feeling really burned by something. And before I can say any more about this, I need to turn to the gospel. Because it's in the gospel reading that we find that third example of choice that we are asked to make in our lives of faith the choice to be disciples. And that's a choice which Jesus casts in these really stark terms of being the choice, of being the choice that draws lines between us and the ones we love. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. I'm not going to bother with the rest of the gospel reading because I'm sure most of us didn't hear anything after that part anyway. These are challenging words, and it all comes back to that one word, hate. And hate is a word that's got a lot of currency in our world right now. We live in a world inundated with hate speech, hate speech against women and the LGBTQ2S plus community, hate speech about refugees, hate speech between races and religions and identities. We have hate speech laws. We prosecute people for hate crimes. And we find new ways every day, it seems, for people to hate other people no further away than a Twitter account. So hearing Jesus talk about hate, especially in the affirming way, is not the comforting, embracing message we want to hear unless we hope that there's maybe just some nuance of translation at play here, the word Jesus is using really is the word hate. It's the Greek word miseo, which is used 37 times in the New Testament, and every time they use it, it means hate. But trust me when I say, quite seriously, there's more to this kind of hate than meets the eye or the ear. When we say hate, we think of those things that I just mentioned, hate crimes, hate speech, extreme violence, and the like. But to the first century Jewish audience, the word suggested something a little more, maybe I won't say benign, but not as extreme. It suggested a kind of detachment. It suggested a kind of turning away from. We might use the word forsake. To hate father and mother was to detach, was to release the tension rather than to exaggerate it and exacerbate it, as we think of when we hear the word hate. Think of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who make the choice to leave their father behind in the boat to follow Jesus. 
Think of Peter, who leaves behind his mother-in-law, the recipient of one of Jesus' first acts of ministry, so that he can follow Jesus. For us, more often than not, our faith is intertwined with family tradition. But in a time when it wasn't families who were getting up and following Jesus Christ, but individuals who were meeting him along the way, these words have a much different context. They have a much different impact. Jesus' words about family, about possessions, about hating family, about hating possessions, about the cost and the choice of discipleship, are more about the strength of the commitment that life in Christ requires. Not so that we can choose to love and hate, but rather that we might forsake those things that keep us from embracing the fullness of that relationship with God through Christ. Sometimes that includes getting rid of the emotional baggage from our own fractured relationships. That's like Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon has to hate, he has to forsake that one thing that's keeping him from proper reconciliation. It involves forsaking our hang-ups, our frustrations, those things that prevent us from having that fullness of life because we don't want to let God into that one part of our life. I'll give you everything else, but you can't have that. That one thing we don't want to let go of. That's the hardest choice of all the choices we have to make in this thing called faith. Which is why Moses stands on the cusp of the promised land and encourages the Hebrews to choose the way of life and prosperity and give up the anxieties and the idols, those things that cause death and adversity, those things that they clung to in the wilderness. That was their choice to make. Just as Paul encourages Philemon, that he hate, that he forsake the one thing in himself, his own pride and self-righteousness, that emotional baggage from having been burned that would prevent him from embracing Onesimus as one of his own. That was his choice to make. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his essential work, The Cost of Discipleship, writes, if we ask how we are to know where our hearts are, the answer is just as simple and everything which, everything which hinders us from loving God above all things and acts as a barrier between ourselves and our obedience to Jesus is our treasure and the place where our heart is. And so it is with these challenging words that Jesus offers us today, Jesus encourages us that we might forsake the baggage in our lives that keeps us from following Christ, that we might live out our whole lives as disciples and rest our hearts completely in Christ. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. The choice is ours. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.